Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode is brought to you by Samsung Canada and its mobile solutions offerings, curated specifically for entrepreneurs and small business owners. From Samsung POS, a new payment acceptance solution, to Dex, a tool that allows you to create a desktop experience straight from your smartphone. Samsung Canada is committed to delivering innovative, productive, and efficient mobile solutions that make managing your small business easier. To learn more about Samsung's latest innovations in entrepreneurial solutions, please visit samsung.com. $1 trillion in wealth is expected to transfer hands in Canada alone over the next decade. Who's getting the cash and what do these new investors care about? I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, we're joined by Joanna Rotenberg, Group Head of BMO Wealth Management. Joanna, who American banker named one of the most powerful women in banking and finance for 10 years in a row, runs the division of the bank that manages wealth for clients ranging from families to small businesses to major institutions. She weighed in on how she sees investment strategies evolving over the next 10 years and where the smart money is going in 2020. We spoke at the Post Studio in Toronto. So we're about to start a new decade. What big changes are you expecting in wealth management over the next 10 years as we look forward to the next decade? That's a great question. So if you look back over the past decade, we've been in a bit of a golden age, I would say, coming out of the financial crisis and having a really great bull market run. And if you look across, we hope for more of the same, certainly from a market perspective, but really three things I think are going to dominate the the next decade in terms of themes. Uh, One is going to be the transfer of wealth happening, and that's going to be very significant. And the other two, I would say, very much stem from the first. Uh, One being really a blending, uh, we would say, of, of the digital and human parts of advice coming together. And then finally, a trend about investing with values. And we're seeing that already. It's coming to North America and becoming a really big theme as different demographics become part of the investing community. So I want to break down all three of those things. Let's start with that wealth transfer. Just how big of a wealth transfer are we talking about here and what's driving that? It's pretty big, I would say. Uh, If you look at Canada, we're expecting over the next decade about a trillion in personal wealth to change hands. So it's big. It's not just millennials. Everybody thinks about millennials when they think about the transfer and it includes boomers. It includes Generation X. And these are people, I would say, across the board that do think differently about their investing, have different behaviors. And we're expecting that to be a pretty significant change. So we've got this generational transfer, say people retiring, people, you know, moving on and passing on their businesses, passing on their personal wealth. Why are you expecting some behavioral differences with the new people that will be getting this influx of cash? I would think about really the the, the change, maybe three ways uh, in terms of who is likely to be changing and, and why. One is certainly generation to generation transfer. And that really, if you think about the three generations I named, those are groups that have experienced different markets. In some cases, all they've known was the global financial crisis. They're milestoning later when you think about the millennials in particular. So that changes their needs. And in some cases, we're seeing a greater digital nativity. The other groups I would say are women, a uh, big group that is going to likely have about seven 
20% of the personal wealth market globally over the next uh, 10 years. And then business succession. You'd mentioned uh, businesses changing hands. That is going to be a seismic change, especially in Canada. That is a big engine of our economy. What do you expect to be some of the consequences of this? I mean, it's a massive amount of money changing hands. A couple of things I would say. One that's really interesting is you think about millennials as maybe fiscally not being conservative. In fact, because they're people who've been through the financial crisis for through most of their adulthood was one of the first things that they'd experienced. They actually tend to be more fiscally conservative. I mean, speaking as a millennial who graduated <laughs> in 2008, I can say with 100% certainty, my fear of losing money or not having it is very high. Exactly. So you're a great example of the fiscal conservatism. So that is going to be a generation that is more skeptical about the markets, a little more trepidatious. And in some areas, what you recognize for inflation and otherwise, you are going to need to grow your portfolio over time. It's a long lifetime, right? And so being able to help think about a balanced portfolio, that is going to be an area of education that will be important. I would say generally, people who are receiving money in many cases we find are just less experienced uh, with that money and whether it's widows, widowers, or, or millennials. And so we believe education is going to become more and more of an imperative as people inherit sums of wealth that they've never been accustomed to. The other thing I would say is together with saving is spending, uh, helping people think about their spending patterns because you know research would show that it's less about what you save, it's more about what you spend that's going to make the big difference in the lifetime. When it comes to, you know, you touched on how Canada is driven so much by small businesses and there could be a lot of businesses changing hands through this wealth transfer as well. What could that mean? for these businesses? You know, uh, how do you see the survival rate of businesses that change hands? How are you thinking about that? Well, it's a big transfer. 70% of businesses likely to transition over the next decade. That is a big part of Canada, if you think about the the number there. Uh, a lot of business owners spent all their time nurturing their businesses and growing them, many cases from the ground up. They have spent typically less time figuring out what the succession plan is, who's going to own the business, how they would transfer it, and what that would look like. The other dynamic we tend to see is the dynamics and the focus areas are, are beyond the sale and the value they might generate. It is about what's going to happen to my employees uh, when left behind, so some of the more social elements. And so being thoughtful on that succession plan typically makes the difference between a wealth transfer business that's set to thrive versus a business that that really doesn't have as much of a future. Why why are women expected to get a bigger piece of the pie now? I think this is this is kind of an interesting development that perhaps I wouldn't have been expecting when I came into this conversation. Absolutely. So it is a significant group. And I would think about it in two ways. One is certainly the rise of women entrepreneurs. And that is a big part of the, the entrepreneurship community. We're expecting over almost $200 billion of economic activity in Canada from women. And that is women entrepreneurs, many different fields. Uh, so generating and creating wealth for, for themselves, as well as certainly for those who, who rely on the businesses that they create, that's going to be big. And then, of course, women as inheritors of wealth, in some cases, uh, is, is going going to be another big area of growth. And so overall, household wealth is already very much touched by women, about 40%. But this is going to be a bigger and bigger force to be reckoned with. Now, what sort of effects could that have on how money is invested? I mean, I'm sure regardless of gender, making money is the primary goal of most investors. But I'm wondering if you're anticipating different strategies with more women in the market. 
Absolutely. So if you look at women, obviously every woman is different in terms of their needs, but there are some themes that emerge and we see this with our clients as well, uh, very much so. Certainly a greater focus, I would say, than average on investment performance is incredibly important. I want to emphasize that, but above and beyond. Uh, so things like uh, personal outcomes, social investing to say, not only do I want to invest for a great return against the risk uh, that I'm comfortable with, but I also want to invest against areas that I believe that are core to my values. And that is one one of the things that we'll see really driving the trend towards responsible investing. And then above and beyond specifics on the investing side, different things that are really important. So access to education, access to networks, value of relationships. Those are all areas that I would put in the above and beyond uh, just the call it return and investment performance category that will emerge as really important. So it seems that, you know, people are expecting not only the profits, but the plus, the the little bit extra. Well said, profits and plus, exactly. <laughs> profits plus plus. That was one of the other trends you mentioned is people investing more in line with their values. Why do you think that sentiment is getting more popular? And I would say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you would see it, I would say, in general, irrespective of the, of the segments that I've mentioned. You look at the last Canadian election and uh, different areas, whether it's environmental, social, governance, all of those are becoming more and more dominating the discourse in the community. And I think that's somewhat reflected in how people are, are making their choices. But I would say in particular, uh, the areas where we're going to see the greatest growth or money changing hands, the next generation from wealth transfer women, these are groups not everybody, but but groups that are generally deeper in terms of their interest in invest, investing with their values. And so those are areas we are expecting to grow. So it's that it's that demographic shift that is in part driving that. Exactly. Exactly. When it comes to this ESG investing, what do you see as you know, the biggest one? Is it more environmental investing driving? Is it the social side of things? Is there a mix there that you're seeing already or anticipating? I would say all three are really important. Maybe this is a good way to frame it. Historically, this it had been more of a conversation about what to exclude. So for instance, if I don't like a certain sector, I can exclude it from my portfolio. And much of the conversation was around what I don't want to invest in. And I think the really interesting thing is whether it's environmental or social or governance, it is becoming more about what to include. And so we're seeing a lot more what we call positive screening. So let's say I want to invest in a certain sustainable sector. I'm going to include that in how I'm investing or find companies that have a really good track record, let's say in safety or something that I fundamentally believe is going to be critical diversity on boards being another example. That we believe will continue to move along the spectrum to what we call improve. And that's really not only having a belief in certain sectors, but really starting to do impact investing, which is investing against specific areas where you absolutely want to achieve a financial return, but you want something else to come with it, that plus plus again. So it's it's moving from that. I mean, the ones I think off the top of my head are the sin industries, you know, get my money out of big tobacco kind of thing. It seems like that's shifting more into, OK, let me think about putting it into something. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. And, and one of the things we've been focused on at BMO is really figuring out how do you really get to invest with purpose. And we've doubled our own commitment to sustainable, whether it's financing or investing, being able to really be able to deliver against what our clients, whether it's institutions or it's more individual retail clients, so that we can all grow the good and grow the good in areas that we know are going to be needed for the future of our communities. 
This has already been popular in Europe for quite some time. Why do you think North America lagged behind a bit in getting on this investing with your values trend? So as you say, it's been a long time uh, in Europe. This has been a focus. Some of it, I would say, is the way pension plans are structured and even regulatory requirements within those pension funds to be able to incorporate the ESG, environmental, social, and governance factors. This is becoming a big area of focus. We typically, in a lot of these themes, you tend to see it start on the institutional side and our institutional investing community certainly has been focused on this. And then you see it start to trickle down to uh, more of the mainstream populations where, where there is more energy. And I would say this is really an extension of that. Which makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, you see the groundswell, especially with young people really caring about things like the environment and just how it's galvanized people in a way. Do you see that kind of spillover into investments? We do. And this is not I would say it's still not at a level where every conversation involves uh, social investing or or people have a view. In fact, we find, well, uh, about two-thirds of the population is interested in responsible investing. Frankly, the same amount say they know very little about responsible investing. So part of our responsibility, uh, whether it's on the investing side or the financing side, as as providers of capital or as, 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 as supporters and advisors on the investing side, is to be able to help educate people who are interested about their options. And, and that's very much what we're doing right now. Now, do you think this style investing, how do you think it could change the flow of money? I'm thinking more about the traditional sectors that have been really important to Canadian investors, such as the energy sector, that maybe would be not as big of a part of this shift. I'm wondering how you think about the money moving when it comes to the new values versus um, what people have done traditionally. Well, it's it's a really good question. And I would remind you that these are areas that even in areas that you would say are, are more traditional industries, this is a significant part, especially of Canada's GDP. So for instance, oil and gas and the industries that it touches are 10% of GDP for Canada. About a half a million families directly or indirectly rely on these areas. And so these are a fundamental part of our industries. They've got strong profit streams. And those companies are also the ones that are committed to finding a different way. And so one of our responsibilities is to help support, and, and that's what we're doing with sustainable finance right now, is supporting in the day-to-day for, for meeting financing or investing needs for the traditional communities, but also helping to find other ways. So so trans, these are very transitional sectors. And so whether it's finding different ways to reduce your emissions or uh, on the diversity side, uh, take a look at different ways to bring in diversity. Our role is really changing, I would say, and moving from just, let's say, financing and investing to advising and becoming a catalyst for those changes. One of the things you mentioned, the third trend that I wanted to talk about is the digital trend and the way that digital disruption is kind of moving into the financial industry. How much do you think digital disruption will affect how people are investing their money? You know, it's such a neat area because the common conversation is, oh, it's all moving, it's becoming, it's moving from human to digital. And that, I think at a high level is, it's easy to say, but what we actually see and what we're believing and we see it with our clients every day is in fact, it's becoming a blend. Uh, so f- just to use examples, over a third of our clients who would profess to be self-directed 
also have an advisor. Just to use a real example of what we see with our own client base, a lot of our a lot of Canadians, about 60%, still say they absolutely want a human. And by the way, in case you're wondering, does that cut across boomer to millennial? We see a blend. We can equally have millennials who are very excited about getting some support or advice when they need it, as we do boomers who would profess to be self-directed. And so what we believe is going to happen is going to be uh, being able to blend those two factors together where our clients need it and uh, really the power in coming together. And and one example is uh, for our advisors, uh, being able to give them digital tools so that they can have a more digital experience with their clients. Uh, We've got a tool called WealthPath, for instance. It's a goals-based planning tool. And it's, it's neat. I tried it with my own husband to, to, to eat the cooking. And really, if you have a question, let's say, you know, can I afford to retire early or can I afford to buy that house? Being able to use it directly, it's a digital responsive tool. It's a good example of something, and there's others like that, that really blend. You get the human advice, but you get the digital experience at the same time. And we believe so much of this power is going to be in bringing digital solutions, but also bringing the human advice, especially in tougher and more complex topics where clients are still looking for advice from from a person. A lot of the, you know, the new apps that are coming out are often targeted at millennials, I would say, you know, you can put your money in here and this app will invest it magically and these are going to be your results and they're great. So how, how do you see that mix evolving over the next decade? Do you think there is going to be a time where we're relying solely on that digital offering? Do you think people are still going to be going in, getting that personal advice? And how much do you think technologies like artificial intelligence could play a role in helping people provide some of that advice? Is is that an area BMO is looking at? I would say we on the, here's how we expect it to play out, although obviously anything can happen still. Uh, very much on the transactional side, so let's say everyday banking, we are absolutely seeing the trend of more and more of our clients, myself included, using our call it apps for, for usual transactions. As it, you get down the spectrum of more complicated things, I'll use examples, trying to figure out from a tax perspective what I should do. Uh, maybe I have an estate plan I'm looking to create. I have, I want to get a mortgage and I'm trying to figure out what the best solution is for me or just a more complex view about investing. These are areas that are still very hard and we believe even 10 years from now, very hard to replicate just by using an app. And this is where the value advice comes in and, and the conversation because a lot of it, if you talk to our advisors, a lot of it comes through the conversation and the planning side and being able to say, step back, what are your objectives? What are you trying to do? And let's create a plan and do it together. It's absolutely hard to substitute that. I think also, you know, we this time of the year last year, you watched the market dip significantly and then you saw it spring back up. Frankly, a lot of value from an investor perspective is destroyed if people say, you know what, I'm going to just, I looked at my app, the market's down, I'm going to pull out my money. And so the other value above and beyond, let's say a more complex need is just sticking through a long-term plan. And, and just like you wouldn't build a house without a blueprint, part of the value is an engagement engaging with somebody who actually has the experience through market cycles to be able to experience that. Are a lot of transactions going to migrate online and stay there? Absolutely. But I think the value of advice and the value of a thoughtful plan is a blueprint that's hard to replace. Well, it kind of brings it back to what you were saying earlier about succession planning and this big wealth transfer that's coming up. I can imagine a lot of people who are thinking about selling a family business or whatnot probably aren't going to rely on the first app they can download to to give them the best tax planning advice. One more question for you before we let you go. Um, You mentioned the market cycles. So obviously the past decade has been a bull run pretty much. It's been 
pretty great for the investor community. But as the year has gone on, we've seen increasing signs of recession. There's been more fears that a recession could be around the corner. Given this bigger picture, where do you see the smart money going as we move forward into 2020? And I mean, if you could predict the next 10 years, fantastic. Uh, We'd all be millionaires after listening to this. But where where do you see the smart money going? Well, I wish I could predict every day of the next 10 years. (laughs) But uh, but unfortunately, I don't think any of us can. You know, I would say I think about it less as smart money and more about smart planning. So so to use a real example, Bitcoin is an example of something where we saw a lot of money come and go and come and go again. And so it's, uh, I think, just a good reminder. And we have one every, you know, every few years or so of it's less about chasing the idea and more about back to this idea of a plan and sticking to your blueprint uh, and sticking to a set of objectives and really sticking to it. You know, one great example is if you look at the past 20 years, what the S&P has done, really a lot of the value was concentrated in sticking to your plan. And really, uh, you know, a few days, if you had just missed 10 days in the entire period, you would have lost half the value in your portfolio. So that's a good reminder of if really 10 days matter, it's really about not trying to time the markets and jump in and out. And so I would say the smart money is about sticking to the plan and really sticking to whatever your objectives are and not letting ups and and downs in the market are going to happen. To your point, we've improved a few areas of uncertainty recently, whether it's the USMCA, hopefully we'll see that through. Brexit, I think, is a bit of a question, but hopefully a little clearer than it was before. And so markets are doing really well and really sticking to your plan and saying markets will come up and down and and being able to stay through that. And uh, if you need one, getting the support of an advisor to help be that co-pilot to help you stay through would be the things I would be thinking about. Joanna, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. That was Joanna Rotenberg, Group Head of BMO Wealth Management. Thank you to all of you for listening to Down to Business. We'll have one more bonus episode next week before taking a holiday break until mid-January. I want to thank each and every one of you for your support this year as we launched this podcast. We could not have done it without you. If you're unplugging for the holidays, I wish you all the best for the season and for the new year. Special thank you to the Down to Business team, music and production by Bryce Hall and editing by Yudula Hussain and Nicole McAdam. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and rate us on your podcast app. I'm Emily Jackson, and until next week, you can get all your business news at financialpost.com.